Today's scripture reading is John chapter 11, verses 45 through 57. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Christina. Good evening, everyone here. Good morning at home. It's so good to, uh, to be here together in this way and again uh, online. I'm so glad uh, that, that you're joining us to worship the Lord. Uh, my name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, it's r really my incredible privilege to uh, get to introduce um, a good friend of mine who's going to be preaching uh, God's word and helping us to walk through this this passage together. So um, Shannon B Butler is a, a good friend. As I said, he's a pastor at Redemption Gilbert and has been there for a number of years. And um, he has actually preached here before. So you you uh, who have been here a long time, way back when we were in the school at Safford there, um, Shannon uh, came there and preached a few times. And um, Shannon is from uh, the great state of Florida. And um, and he brought his talents out here to play football at uh, NAU. And uh, uh, so I know we have some other NAU alum in the back there that I know, and I'm sure there are some others. Everybody loves NAU, all right? There's nothing to, nothing to hate on there. Um, if it was the other school, we'd, we'd let you know. But um, uh, again, Shannon is, is just a godly man, a great father, a good friend, and I'm excited to have him uh, bring God's word this, this evening. So we'll, you all go ahead and join me as we welcome up Pastor Shannon. Appreciate that, Dave. Um, I wish there was so much I could say about the University of Arizona. Um, that's, that's not how you want to start, right? It's good to see everyone. God bless you. So like Dave said, I'm Shannon at Gilbert, um, and I am so honored to be with you all this evening. Uh, there's two things. If you're new to Redemption uh, Tucson, here's what I would ask. There's two things. The first one is this. Come back next week. Uh, Dave is an incredible communicator. He loves the Lord, um, and he loves this city. He loves Tucson. And so you want to know the heart of a, a leader and a pastor. 
get to know uh, Dave and, and Marcus. And the second thing is continuing the rest of the series, continuing the book of John uh, through the remainder of our, our time in that book, because you would you would begin to unpack more of the Father's heart uh, in, in this lesson. And so, again, if you are new, um, those are the two things I would ask that you would do immediately. Uh, with that being said, uh, I, I got a question to ask. How many of you guys like love movies, movies that have like these twists, these plots and twists and almost like suspense movies where you go, man, I didn't see that coming. Anybody like, like this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the movie that does it for me and my family is The Lion King. <laughs> D- don't judge me. M- Mufasa, right? He's the king, right? And he's, he has a son, Simba. And he's telling Simba, listen, you're going to be ruler over this, this kingdom, this pride land at, at, at one day, right? And, and his job, Mufasa's job is to raise Simba to one day take his, his throne. And, and then the plot in the, in the movie is, is uh, Scar. Right, Mufasa's brother. We, we learn he's in cahoots with the hyenas, and they're trying to take him up. Right, and they're trying to take over the deal. And you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> There's something similar happening in the book of John, John 11 in particular. The the the, the if you have your Bibles open to John 11, the uh, the subtitle to this passage is called the plot to kill Jesus. Now here's the deal, like the Lion King. Mufasa's, his original intent was for his son to become king. We don't know how that, 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 that ends up for Mufasa and for a lot of us, you would think that it would be one of those things where it's like an easy and smooth transition. And what John, the gospel writer, is, is actually showing us is that th- this transition is actually going to be something that comes with a price. But, but it's, going to, it's going to fulfill the father's original intent for the son to take his rightful place. So, so here's the deal, uh, Redemption Tucson. I have an agenda. And my agenda is that every heart in this room be moved closer to the person of Jesus. That all of us in here would somehow be moved, stirred, and moved closer to Jesus. And we're going to take a look at this plot to kill Jesus in order to save many. And there's three kind of uh, kind of three things for us to take away from this this plot. The first thing is going to reveal a couple of things. It's going to reveal the heart of these Pharisees, those who are opposing Jesus. It's going to reveal the intentions of the father. And then it's going to reveal our need for a savior. And then we're going to deal with our so what's the takeaways. Uh, But before we do that, let's pray and let's ask for the spirit's witness in this moment. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace towards us. God, we're so incredibly thankful for this moment that we get to gather on a Saturday evening and that for those who are watching via Sunday morning. And I pray, Father, that our time in your word, it would move our hearts closer to you. That, Jesus, we would be more in tune to your spirit and for those who have yet to come to saving faith, that it would awaken their spirits, God, their souls and their hearts towards you. Father, would you bless our time uh, today and and ultimately, God, would you be glorified through it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the scripture um, we're in, John 11, 45 through 57, was read uh, earlier, which was beautifully read, by the way. Um, So let's, let's just get to the meat of this situation. John's 
gospel, the gospel of John, is the only gospel that calls the supernatural works of Jesus signs. This, the seventh sign was recorded last week when we see uh, Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And the main point of those miracles or those signs is found in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. That, that's the point of this, this sign that, that Jesus uh, performed when he was with Mary and the rest of those uh, other companions at the, the gravesite. And, and then this, that statement that, that we would believe is echoed through John chapter 20. Uh, uh, the gospel writer, he, he, he further echoes that same sentiment when he says this. This is John 20, 30 and 31. It says this, Jesus performed many, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And 31 is the key. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God and that believing in him, you may have life everlasting. And that's the point. I would say that's the point of the entire Bible. That's the point of the Gospels. That's the point of the epistles. That's the point of, uh, uh, of the Proverbs. That's the point of all of it, that we may have life through Jesus. And, and this sign that Jesus performed of raising Lazarus from the from the dead was a demonstration of him and his identity as the messianic king and foreshadowing his own pending death and resurrection. Now, let's, let's, let's pause for a second. Let's ask this question. When was the last time you was in awe of God? When was the last time, Christian, that you were amazed at God in the things of God? And the, and the signs of God. For, for, for myself and for my, my family, we're part of the RC in, in Gilbert. Uh, there was a couple who were um, looking divorced in the face. And they had a, 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 I think she's two now, but at the time she was, she was one, a baby girl who was, had, had been diagnosed with a heart, um, a heart disease or a heart uh, complications, let's say that. And what was happening is her heart was beating uh, like 10 times faster than what it should have been beating. And the, 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 um, what the doctors needed to do was uh, a surgery to add a, essentially a muscle under the heart to slow it down. And then there was possibilities that the surgery would have to be redone, you know, year, years later or whatever. Here's the point. The couple was actually in the middle of facing a divorce and God supernaturally re reconciled their marriage. And in the reconciliation of this marriage, God performed another miracle. They went in for another ultrasound or, or, or scan of the baby's heart and noticed that the muscle that they actually were going to perform on this baby was actually forming under her heart. So God had not only done a miracle within the marriage, but he's done a miracle within this baby. And this miracle now, it transformed not just this family, but our RC. Not just our RC, but the staff in our church. And not just the staff in our church, but our church in, in general. The works of God, the supernatural works of God, are a sign that points to his wonder, his amazement, and his love towards us. And there are only two responses that we see here in this particular chapter, uh, in, this, in this section of, of John 11. 
The first response is this, that there were people who responded with thanksgiving and devoted lives towards Christ. And the, the other response was those who responded with skepticism and rejection. <laughs> who do you align with in this story? When the Lord is moving and doing and, 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 and allowing his, his presence to be felt in, in the midst of his people, how do you respond? This leads me to my first, plot, uh, first uh, uh, point of the story, which is how this plot reveals the heart of the Pharisees. Let's look at 46 and 48. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are you accomplishing or what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here's a man performing many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Those unfamiliar with first century uh, Jewish court systems, the Sanhedrin was a council that was the supreme authority in, the, in Israel at this day. And there were 71 of these individuals, these religious leaders. And then the chief priest, he was the one that made the final decision on anything that was, that was decided on. And their top priority was to salvage their political and their religious autonomy from the Roman Empire. So in other words, these, these Sanhedrin folks were, were doing their best to try to keep their interests to themselves. They didn't want to have to, to, have to do battle with the Romans, with the Roman Empire. They wanted a semi-freed lifestyle apart from Rome. And, and if any kind of threat to that, Rome would send soldiers to come in and neutralize the threat. It was actually, it was stated, and it's actually known, this is a known fact, that when anyone would try to have an uprising against uh, the Roman Empire, not only would they send their, their, their soldiers in to handle the situation, but they would, they would make examples by having... I know there's some kids in the room, so I'm going to try to be gentle with this, <laughs> how they would uh, demonstrate you don't mess with Rome. They would essentially have heads on sticks. And, and as you march into these towns, these was examples of don't cross the Romans. So now it, it's one thing for Jesus to uh, give sight to the blind and raise people from the dead. That's, that's one thing. But to make claims of God, and then he's, he's actually doing this in front of, of people who are claiming him to be the messianic king, this is becoming problematic and costly. It, it's infuriating these religious leaders. So if you're taking notes, please write this down. Wrong motives get exposed through wrong actions. Wrong motives get exposed through wrong actions. Anybody familiar with the uh, 1994 uh, Summer Olympics with uh, figure skating? If I said the name uh, Nancy Kerrigan, would anybody know who that was? Tanya Harding, anybody? We know that story? Yeah. It's amazing. I was 14 years old when that, that story happened. I'm 40 now. I, I just told my age. I don't care. Uh, moral of the story for those who are not familiar with that. Tanya Harding was jealous of Nancy Kerrigan. Nancy Kerrigan was considered to be the number one figure skater, not just in America, but in the world. And she was also um, dubbed to win the, the gold medal uh, for the, the, the Summer Olympics. And, and, and Tanya Harding was, was infuriated with that. So she hired a, a guy to come in and bust out 
Nancy Kerrigan's knee. Now, she healed up, but Nancy Kerrigan only got a uh, silver medal that year, and she never skated again. Tonya Harding, she was banned. Um, her little band of misfits, they were in jail, got all these fines. But here's the point. The point is their heart got exposed through their motives. And that's what we're seeing in, in this story with these Sanhedrin council. Verse 48 says this. I'm going to dig in a little bit of behind their actions and their motives. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation. Here's a question I got for you. What are your tendencies? What do you do when, when, when someone, something, or, or a place, person, thing gets in the way of what you desire? What, what do you usually do? What, what do you usually, what's your go-to when, when, when something gets in the way of what you're desiring? For me, it's, it's either that, that fight or flight kind of situation, right? So nine times out of ten, I'm going to fight my way through it. If, you, if you're getting in the way of what I want, then, man, it's, it's going to be a battle. That, that, that other 1% time, I'll just finagle my way, kind of lay low, and, and, and then subconsciously kind of like figure out a way, a different way to kind of get what I want. Either way, I'm trying to like maneuver, the, either whether it be psychologically or whether it be in a physical sense. Like, I'm trying to get what I want, and I don't care what, what, what I need to do to get what I want. And that's what we're seeing in these, these councilmen. For most of us in here, we can relate to, to these folks. They're protecting their own interests. To take away our places of reference to the, the temple place where they would worship. So if someone was to say, hey, y'all can't worship in here anymore. Hey, y'all can't meet anymore. You can't have community together. What would you do? Well, we're going to figure it out. <laughs> we're going to meet in Dave's backyard. Marcus got a pool. We're going to go over there. <laughs> we're going to figure it out. Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> Nice, too. Um, in reference to taking away our nation was their status and their, and their, and their uh, limited authority within, with under the Roman Empire. This phrase, let him go, suggests that they actually thought they had power to control God in flesh. So this, this is the second thing to write down, if you will. Don't let a little power get you into big trouble. Don't let a little power get you in the big trouble. My, my mom and my grandma, they would say it a little differently. Don't write a, don't write a check your butt can't cash. <laughs> Again, I had to clean it up for the kids. You know, for the kids. <laughs> Jesus has just earned the number one spot, the top spot on the Sanhedrin most wanted list. He's a threat to their status, their comfort, their security. And this is revealing their hearts to protect their own interests. And now this leads me to my second point, that this plot also reveals the intentions of the Father. Let's look at 40, verse 49. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. And Caiaphas, that's coming in hot, brother. <laughs> you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day, they plotted to take his life. 
the gospel writer here is emphasizing as Caiaphas being the high priest that year because, because he was a part of the family structure uh, of high priests, uh, there was a high turnover rate. Caiaphas held, um, Caiaphas was actually the son-in-law to Ananias. And we see Ananias, he makes a cameo in the, uh, in the trial of Jesus in John chapter 18, 12 through 14. You can go look that up on yourself. But Ananias is, is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. So Ananias holds the position for seven years. Caiaphas, he's, he's later in the deal. He holds the position for 18 years. But in between, Ananias has three sons, and all three sons hold the position uh, a year apiece. And here's the point. The point of all of that is that it was God who placed them in those positions. See, the father intentions are revealed even in Daniel chapter 2 when he says this, that he changes the times and the seasons. He deposes kings and sets up others. He gives them wisdom and wise, uh, gives wisdom to the wise and gives knowledge to the discerning. How about Romans 13 and 1? It says this, let everyone be subject to the governing uh, authorities for there is no authority except for which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And we want to know why. What's the purpose, especially in this context, in the, in the text that John is, is revealing to us in this plot? Why are these, these, this Jewish council and this, this, this chief priest, why are they in this position? Well, Isaiah 53.10 kind of gives us an answer. Because it's the Lord's will. It's the Lord's will to have Jesus, the Son of God, crushed. It's the Lord's will to have him suffer. It's the Lord's will to make his life in sin offering because his offspring will produce long days and the Lord will prosper whatever is put in his hand. It's the Lord's will for the Sanhedrin council to go through with this plot. Caiaphas's words, though they were, uh, they were very uh, um, <laughs> unintentional, they, they, were, they were lacking in understanding, but they were prophetic and they, and, and they were timely. God transformed those words. It's better for one man to die than the whole nation perish. Those words of blaspheming coming from a blasphemous heart he transformed them into a word of prophecy. The scene illustrates that what, what is meant for evil, God turns into good. And this leads me to my kind of like the next thing to jot down. God doesn't waste anything. There's a lesson to learn in here. It's that God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste a moment. He doesn't waste your pain. He doesn't waste a setback or even a come up. He don't waste the plot. And in God's economy, everything, all of it works out. But I'm not a rapper. Uh, and this leads me to my final point that this, this plot is going to reveal our need for a savior. Verse 54 and 57 says this. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to the region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many of them went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. 
They kept looking for Jesus, and they stood in the temple courts, and they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees, they had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. So we've seen a, a, in this story so far, this growing hostility towards Jesus that's going to ultimately lead to his arrest and crucifixion. The Passover festival, again, for those unfamiliar with what this, this, this ceremony of cleansing is, it, it was mentioned twice in verse uh, 55, and it was a celebration in honor of the night that, that the angel of death passed over the houses who obeyed the orders to have a spotless lamb, the blood of spotless lamb, placed over the doorpost of each home so that your firstborn or your first fruits or your, first, your animals born first, any first would not die. Now, if you want to read more about that story, you can uh, go to Exodus 12, or you can do what I would usually do and just get the movie and rent uh, Prince of Egypt. <laughs> but here's the point of all of it. Again, write this down. What we need can't be washed off with water. We need the blood. We need the blood of Christ. This ceremony of cleansing could take up to seven days, depending on how great your sin was. And the intentions are good. You want to you find out ways to make it right when you've wronged someone. So there's good intentions in it, but it lacks in real power for true change. Everyone is looking for Jesus when they're asking this burning question. Is he coming back? When I was doing some of my study and I looked at uh, verse 54 in particular, therefore Jesus no longer moved about publicly. I just paused for a second, man, and just wondered, like, what would it be like for Jesus to no longer be seen in our public spaces, in our schools, in our governments, in, in, our, in our work spaces, in our communities? What, what would that really look like, that Jesus was no longer seen or no, there was no resemblance of Jesus in public spaces. It kind of broke my heart, actually, to, to, to think through that, that lens for a second. With all this brokenness throughout our nation and in our world, there is a real burning question of, is he coming at all? We have a need for a savior, and his name is Jesus. Because here's the one thing I know to be true. A heart of sin doesn't need a shower. It needs an operation. Yeah, them bars right now. <laughs> Jesus' death and burial and resurrection is just what the doctor ordered. Verse 57, but the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they may arrest him. Takes me to our takeaways. What does this story, how, how does this story fit into 2021? Like, what should we do with this? Well, I got four things for you to, that this story can apply to us. The first thing comes from actually verse 45, oh, excuse me, 46. The first takeaway is this. Some believe, not all. Look at verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Some of them responded with that skepticism and, 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 and that rejection. They just seen Jesus raise a man from the dead. 
They just saw with their own eyes the glory of God shown, and they responded with skepticism and rejection. So when you're thinking about the lens through evangelism, not everybody's going to believe. So we got to understand our place. Like, are we, are we doing the work of the Spirit, or is the Spirit supposed to do the work of the Spirit? Our job is just to be vessels, right? We're just to point people to Jesus. The Spirit of the living God does the rest. Amen? Second point is this, death to Jesus means life for us. Death to Jesus means life for us. The third takeaway is this, God is never doing nothing. He's always up to something. And this, is the, this goes to the, the intentions of the Father. He's never doing nothing. He's not like he's just sitting back and just allowing Caiaphas and the boys to come up with this amazing plot and him kind of wondering and figuring out, like, what's the next move? He's always up to something. And the final takeaway that we have, praise God for the plot. See, because the plot is going to lead to betrayal. And the betrayal is, is going to lead to an arrest. An arrest is going to lead to a crucifixion, and a crucifixion is going to lead to resurrection, and resurrection is going to lead to salvation. Amen. Praise God for the plot. So for those of us who are believers in this room, here's what I want to pray, that we will remain faithful to the promises of God, that we remain faithful, be lights in our communities, in our workspaces, that we will be tangible expressions of the kingdom. And for those in the room who are not a Christian, that you're maybe wrestling with faith or church, just trying to figure it out, like, where, where do I fit in this story? Well, here's what I'm going to ask. I ask that you would consider what the word says about who Jesus is. See, he's, he's life. He's, he's true life. Everlasting life. And all those times where you're trying to bump up against culture, you're bumping up against, man, your will. Seems like I'm never getting anywhere. I'm always kind of landing on my face. Try Jesus. I want to pray for us. And then we'll move on to... Uh, the next portion of our service. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace, your compassion towards us. Jesus, I'm so thankful that we get to be called your children. And for those in the room or maybe watching online um, who don't know who you are in real time, they don't have any kind, of, uh, any kind of experience with you, Father, I pray that even in this moment of, of this prayer that you would uh, begin to work on their hearts, God. You're, you're moving towards them. God, I, I can feel the compassion within this space, and I pray, Father, that you would awaken their hearts. God, that you would allow for your spirit to move in such a way that really does honor you. And for those who are Christians, those who are believers, who are followers of Jesus, Father, may this word continue to captivate their hearts to be faithful in their context. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the plot. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.